This is the Kratom Science Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Gallagher, blog and social media writer for KratomScience.com, your source for all things Kratom. Hey everybody, it's just me again. I did have a guest and he canceled at the last minute, but I'm going to get to talk to him on Saturday, so I'm grateful for him. If you would like to be a guest on the Kratom Science Podcast, if you have a Kratom story you want to tell and share with all of our listeners, just leave a comment wherever you're listening to this or hit me up on Twitter at Kratom Science and we will set up a date, do an interview, and uh, we'll get in touch. If you have a Kratom story, I want to hear from you. And it helps if you like to talk a lot. So, uh, you know, it gives us an interesting podcast, but yeah, just send me a little message and just give me your, you know, a brief rundown. I, I'll write questions from there and we'll try to keep it interesting and, uh, yeah, definitely would like to hear your, uh, Kratom story. First, I'm going to talk about a webinar that a few of us went on. Um, I saw Cammie Davis's post about it. Uh, Cammie does a great website called southeastbeautiful.com. She has a lot of uh, good Kratom stories on there. And so uh, I think uh, Misty also posted about it. And I think Scars and Misty and Cammie and myself were in this meeting. (laughs) It was a webinar put on by the American Academy of Addiction Psychiatrists. The title of the webinar was Best Practices in Managing Patients with Kratom Addiction. So even though this webinar was open to the public and free to join for anybody with an email address, um, it's really really like a uh, professional type of informational session for psychiatrists. Uh, (laughs) And I don't think they expected... uh, you know, weird questions from the public, but it was open to the public, so, so I just went on to listen, um, I respect scientists a lot, and these guys are smart, they're smarter than me, they've had training in addiction, and even in this presentation, you know, there's stuff you can learn from them, which is the approach that I'd rather take that I think would be more effective, would be instead of a, you know, contrary negative sort of approach it's here's where I think you're wrong on uh, some of the science now the presentation was pretty factual um, but there was sort of uh, no consideration for whether or not the drug war is working no questioning of some of these um, bolder claims about kratom overdose and death Um, there's not really a questioning of banning you know uh, whether or not that would be effective, um, you know, that would be a public health question. That wouldn't really be a, a psychiatrist question. But they are talking about the history of it, and there's, you know, the presumption is if it's banned in some of these countries and states, then there's a good reason. It's just standard uh, what most people think about drugs. It's embedded in our society, and it's it definitely embedded in the medical establishment. You know, they emphasize recreational use, which is really rare. Uh, most people use it f- for, you know, pain management or, you know, 
withdrawal management uh, and to try to get off. And most people use it like these psychiatrists use Suboxone to wean themselves off of harder drugs. Um, And they do actually recommend uh, that type of treatment, but I'll talk about that later. Like I said, I want to learn from these guys, and I hope they can uh, maybe learn from us. Um, But I'm going to focus on a specific instance, because I had happened to be working on a blog post that referenced the same uh, article that this guy references on studies in mice and the uh, LD50 of my tragedy. A popular belief has been that deaths resulting from kratom use alone is exceedingly rare, even impossible. In mice, lethality studies exist where alkaloids were administered in ascending doses to find the LD50, or what dose is needed to kill half of the mice receiving it. With intravenous, so not oral, but intravenous, administration, they found that both nitrogenine and 7-hydroxynitrogenine were lethal to mice at the same dose as heroin. So that was uh, Dr. Cornell Stanchew. Uh, he's assistant professor of psychiatry at Dartmouth, and he's director of addiction services at New Hampshire Hospital. And I'm a blogger and a podcaster, and I'm about to dunk on him. Yeah, disclaimer, all of these people in every study and everything that I talk about know more than me about science, so uh, let's just say that. Though, I think here's another context that I'm going to put this in. Now, the study he's referring to, uh, a study, an LD50 study in mice, I believe it's the same one I was looking at. It's called Lateral Flow Assessment and Unanticipated Toxicity of Kratom, and um, this is copyright 2018, American Chemical Society. What he said right in their abstract, although Kratom is regarded as a safe opioid alternative, here we report LD50 values determined for its two main psychoactive alkaloids, mitragenine and 7-hydroxymitragenine, as comparable to heroin in mice when administered intravenously. Okay, here's the problem. If people were going around taking that much extracted my tragedine, then it would be dangerous. However, 547.7 milligrams per kilogram converted to human equivalent dose using the FDA draft guidelines, that means it would take a relatively small by American standards person, 60 kilograms, that's about 132 pounds, would have to eat about just under a kilo of kratom in one sitting to reach a toxic dose. Uh, uh, If they had extracts, they'd have to be more careful because extracts are not pure extracts they use of mitragenine they use in labs. Uh, They would have to be a little more careful. They probably could only eat, you know, a pound of extract depending on the extract and the alkaloid levels. There is a alkaloid called tomatine. Enough of that, that LD50 is about 500, a little bit less than, than mitragenine. Tomatine is an alkaloid in green tomatoes. You would have to eat 300 pounds of green tomatoes to reach the toxic dose. You'd have to eat a kilo of kratom, uh, maybe a pound of kratom extract 
depending on the extract, you would have to consume a lot of kratom. And now this LD50, it was orally administered to these uh, Swiss Webster mice. Mitragenine is just not available to humans like that. So it's a clear exaggeration. I'm not saying that um, this presenter exaggerated on purpose. It's what he read in the paper. However, it's not a lot known about Kratom. I assume he just didn't know the alkaloid and the mitragenine content in Kratom products. Uh, you know, so once you get into extracted mitragenine, which is going to, you know, like pure extracted mitragenine, it, it'll happen sooner or later. Then, yeah, don't take uh, five... Don't take, <laughs> even at that, 547 milligrams a kilogram. I forgot the human equivalent was like 45 or something like that of pure mitragenine. That's still a shit ton of, of stuff in your gut. But anyway, that's not how it's available. So that's why Kratom isn't dangerous. Enough water will kill you. Uh, caffeine, if you drink 40 cups of coffee, that same 60 kilogram person, that would kill them too. So that's that's what we're talking about at the level Kratom is at. It's really, I can, you know, give them the benefit of the doubt and just hope the, there's a disconnect between what's happening on the street, how we're actually using Kratom, and these lab tests where they're using extracted Kratom. It's, it's like, uh, you know, drinking beer versus using injected ethanol into your veins. That's, that's really what the difference is. So... I don't buy his it's dangerous argument. Now, there was other parts of his presentation where he's talking about liver toxicity in combination with other drugs. There might be something to that. I might We might talk about that later. I mean, even in this other rat study, um, and you can check out my blog post on it. It's called Toxic Levels of Kratom and the LD50 of Mitragenine. Uh, if you go to kratomscience.com, check that out. I, I break it down. There was even another stud, study on liver toxicity, and it's, you know, an insane amount. I mean, you'd have to be taking, uh, like, 5 to 14 ounces a day to uh, for a month to start getting that kind of damage based on, based on the level of my tragedy that was given the mice in these studies. If you can get, if you can look at this webinar up and watch it, I mean... You learn what the medical establishment thinks and kind of how they operate. It's, it's it's not, you don't have to go to war with them. I just think there's knowledge gaps. I mean, these guys want evidence. They want to learn, I assume. You know, I'm sure there's a lot of cynicism in there with maybe the drug companies uh, getting, you know, involved in the science. And there's an incentive for them to you know, use Suboxone and whatnot. I'm not, I'm not saying these scientists in particular. I'm just saying in the medical establishment. It's, it, I think it's really just a gap in the knowledge and, and a gap between how we're actually taking this stuff on the quote-unquote street versus, you know, what's happening in the labs. And the more we learn about Kratom, the more we can um, contribute to the conversation as Kratom consumers um, to guys who are, you know, in academia and and in the in the medical world, I, I'd rather communicate with these guys than than slag them because they're you know focusing on the negative. It's just the culture. It's just the anti-drug culture that has to be. It's being broken down kind of on the outside, but but once you get into medicine, you still have to. I mean, 
hell, I got I have scientists on here. I'll have them on next week who are who are starting to have a, have a more open mind about uh, some of these plants and and you know one addiction isn't necessarily as bad as the other. Uh, but I mean they think that too because they prescribe suboxone uh, a better thing than antagonizing i think uh folks like this would be to try to communicate with them because they can instead of prescribing that suboxone we hope they can prescribe maybe the much metragenine or just the kratom tea we want to get we want to get kratom in in the mainstream uh psychiatry world and in the mainstream uh, medical field and because you know it's it's really will help people uh with pain management and we all know it's it's safer i mean we there's thousands of us out here there is a 2019 article where the authors reviewed death certificates from the state of colorado and found 15 deaths attributed to kratom although most involved multi-drug ingestions four were attributed exclusively to kratom toxicity so I was waiting for him to continue because I've read this letter. Uh, it's it was actually a letter to the New England Journal of Medicine, Medicine, excuse me, um, by like a half a dozen doctors, uh, um, scientists. Um, out of the four deaths that he said were attributed to kratom alone, and he just left it there. It says. We further investigated the four deaths that appeared to be due to mitragenine only, reviewing police investigation records for all four and performing comprehensive toxicology screenings with high-performance liquid chromatography with tandem mass spectrometry for three cases for which residual blood was available. In our investigation of all 15 kratom-related deaths, we determined that 14 deaths clearly involved multiple drugs. So there goes three of those four. Mitragenine levels varied widely from 16 to 4,800 NG per milliliter. Uh, residual blood was not available for confirmatory testing in the remaining kratom-related death. So they didn't find residual blood from that, but they did find that out of those four, three were multiple drug death. And the other one couldn't be proven. So, you know, respect the Dr. Statue, but, you know, you kind of just left that part out um, to make a case that, you know, Kratom is dangerous. And it's just a fact that there's more evidence out there. There are more studies out there that show that Kratom is relatively safe. Safe, excuse me. Um, and, yeah, those that might, that mouse study does not... It's not how people take that. It'd be be like doing a my study of tomatine and declaring tomatoes, uh, you know, unsafe. Now, this next part's going to seem that I'm going to play is going to seem weird to uh, most kratom consumers, a um, uh, large portion of which uh, use kratom to get off of opiates and heroin, including a lot of people I interviewed for this podcast. So, what they're talking about is using buprenorphine for kratom withdrawal which seems like a backward idea uh it's the complete opposite of most it's the complete inverse of most of the experiences of people that i've spoken to and people who have commented on kratomscience.com um so let's just see what they have to say there was a question about when to initiate uh buprenorphine or when to initiate uh uh 
uh, buprenorphine in patients with kratom withdrawal, uh, given that uh, kratom seems to have a longer half-life than short-acting opioids. Uh, uh, I would say that we base our initiation of kratom, you know, on using the cows frequently, uh, which is a reflection of our clinical observation of the patient being in moderate withdrawal, the purpose being to avoid uh, precipitated withdrawal. And I would use the same clinical uh, tools that we have uh, in ordinary opioid use disorder uh, to uh, treat a patient in uh, kratom withdrawal. Dr. Stanchu, would you have a view to that? Yep, completely agree with that. There's certainly a number of factors that would uh, dictate when someone experiences withdrawal, such as someone's BMI, as uh, the mitragynine tends to get released from uh, from the fatty tissue, someone's age, as older people metabolize mitragynine uh, a lot slower, as well as uh, someone's liver status. So definitely a, a cows-based uh, uh, withdrawal management and induction onto buprenorphine is advisable. Remember like maybe in high school you're in algebra class and uh you said you know when are we going to use this in life uh i don't think they're ever going to have to use this in life and the reason being that cows is a clinical opiate withdrawal score so somebody experiencing withdrawal from kratom isn't going to get to that level of opiate withdrawal because uh, kratom isn't an opiate for one thing uh it's an opioid because it acts on the opioid receptors um, but they don't have a, a kratom withdrawal score. How? But it's like when you look at it, it's like there's, they're not. I, I don't think anybody listening to that as a psychiatrist is ever going to see a patient that experiences the type of uh, withdrawals from opiates. And I'm not saying it hasn't uh, happened. I, I've heard some people, and I have no reason to doubt that they've had like severe kratom withdrawals. They did like way too much and stopped too fast, you know. And, uh, you know, maybe, but mostly we know, I mean, I'm sure like maybe even 90%, it's like, uh, not having a cup of coffee for most people who use it. But if they can learn from, uh, you know, at least the scientists that are, that are actually following the science and taking in to, um, consideration this context, I mean, there isn't hardcore pure mitragynine out there on the street. I mean, maybe there is, but. The, it would be prohibitive. I don't even think the effects would be good. Two teaspoons of regular powder kratom is all I need. I don't. I don't see any benefit in eating like pure my tragedy. I it would probably make you sick. I'm not saying there's not kratom addiction. Kratom can be habit forming. So. That's their job, though. It's they're they're a hammer, and addiction's the nail. So they, it's not really their job to consider all the cultural factors, but I really wish they would consider how Kratom is used. It's not used in those mitragynine doses that are given to rats. So that would be my only point. I mean, <laughs> I can't imagine this would get back to, you know, serious psychiatry guys, but if it does, you know, just consider the point I'm making. There's a lot of scientists that back me up, and... um well, I'm trying to back them up, actually.
with respect, with respect, I respect education, and I don't like uh, when I'm involved in a political movement that veers off into in anti-intellectualism. Not that ours does. All we have to do is follow the science. We got the science on our side. We don't have to exaggerate Kratom's benefits, or, and just like they're doing the leafer madness thing where they're exaggerating the de- detriments, because that's not science, that's politics. Or it's a comic book good versus evil tale, which I don't, this, that's not what real life is. Real life is complex, Kratom's complex, and this issue's complex. And that leads me to, oh, I had a, a very lot of nice supportive comments uh, from my last solo podcast where I talked about my drinking and uh, trying to, and it's going good. I'm going to be three weeks tomorrow uh, since I had my last drink, and the Kratom makes it easy. I mean, it really cuts down on cravings, and I the idea of having a drink is starting to get, ugh, I don't want one. That's what I did. I did a month last year, and, you know, like I said, at the end of the month, I was like, okay, I'm done. I'm going to have a glass of wine. It, I couldn't even finish the glass. I really don't think my liver's getting fucked up based on the fact that I'm not taking mouse lab rat level amounts of my tragedy. I think the alcohol was probably fucking up my liver a little bit. Um, so, yeah, it's good. It's good. And on days when I don't have cravings, I don't take any Kratom. Yesterday, I didn't take any Kratom. Today, I had some. Uh, tomorrow, who knows? That's the thing. I'm, I'm not, I don't really intend to keep taking Kratom. I'm going to have it in my cabinet next to my tea like I do. I'll have some every once in a while. Uh, right now, I'm on about five days a week to deal with the booze cravings. But I mean, a couple more weeks, man. I I'll be I'll be home free, I think. So, I don't know. I'll keep you all updated. I might not <laughs> I might start drinking again. Who knows? Who knows? We'll see how the rest of 2020 goes. All right. Uh join me next week. I'll have Dr. Mark Swagger and Dr. Jonathan Cachet. And we recorded this the other day, but I wanted to spend time giving it a good edit. Um, but that'll be the Journal Club, and we'll have a nice little roundtable discussion about uh, uh, Dr. Swagger's systemic review there. Following week, uh, I'll have another guest. Like I said, if you want to be a guest, you got a Kratom story. Uh, just send me a comment or uh, at Kratom Science on Twitter, and uh, let me know. We'll we'll have a nice conversation. And, you know, I appreciate the American Academy of uh, Addiction Psychiatrists. Yeah, I'm using their clips there. The music is by Risey. The song is called Memories of Thailand. The Kratom Science Podcast is written and produced by me, Brian Gallagher, for KratomScience.com. Take care.